0: Salutations, welcome to spiritual blitherings, philosophic ponderings and everything ramblings at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. Today we're gonna talk about ideas and flow, the good life and resources for our spiritual toolbox. This is a Just Some Guy production and I'm that guy, your host, Steve, the Hopeful Humanist. This episode 19 is entitled A Phenomenon Called Choice and Its Phenomena. Choice, it's a big discussion. It's a discussion I'm passionate about, so I decided to turn it into at least a two-part series. In each of these two or possibly more episodes, I'm going to highlight a specific book, but additionally, i like to share a whole bunch of other resources that I won't get into as much, but I want to have them there as an offer for a sort of introductory curriculum on choice that you can then peruse at your leisure. So with that... Let the blathering begin first. I think a question needs to be asked. Does choice even really exist? Does choice exist? Do you have a sense that today, for instance, you chose one thing, but you could have chosen something else? Do you have a sense that you have agency, that you can exercise freedom and impact your unfolding lived experience? I think for many people we would say, yeah, of course, of course choice is real. Especially in the West where we have this thing that I call the cult of the individual and people are responsible for their happiness. But I don't think we would be so surprised. I think we could possibly even relate to situations where someone had something happen and after the fact they said, I didn't know I had a choice. I didn't know I had options. I thought I... I thought I had to do that. So I'd like to offer two following quotes as food for thought to orient this discussion and to kind of identify what my answer to the question of. Does choice really exist is for me? So the first comes from Abraham H. Maslow, The Farther Reaches of Human Nature on page 10. It's a big quote, so I I apologize, but I think it's a very powerful Potent, orienting quote. If, as I think has been demonstrated sufficiently, the human being is a choosing, deciding, seeking animal, then the question of making choices and decisions must inevitably be involved in any effort to define the human species. But making choices and decisions is a matter of degree, a matter of wisdom, effectiveness, and efficiency. The questions then come up. Who's the good chooser? Where does he or she or one come from? What kind of life history does he or she or one have? Can we teach the skill? What hurts it? What helps it? These are, of course, simply new ways of asking the old philosophical questions. Who is a sage? What is a sage? And beyond that of raising the old axiological questions, what is good? What is desirable? What should be desired? I must assert that we have come to the point in biological history where we now are responsible for our own evolution. We have become self-evolvers. Evolution means selecting and therefore choosing and deciding. And this means valuing. So Maslow answers with a resounding yes. If we want to understand what it is, this thing that we are, we need to have an understanding about choice. We need to conduct an investigation to figure out if it's a skill that can be taught. What can we do that will help us become better choosers? What are rules of thumb that we might be able to embrace and Barry Swartz offers us some thoughts. He is the highlight resource for this episode. The second quote that I would like to share with you comes from William James in a book entitled A History of Western Psychology by David J. Murray, page 245. I see no reason why Renvier's definition of free will, the sustaining of a thought because I choose to, When I might have other thoughts need be the definition of an illusion. My first act of free will shall be to believe in free will. Another resounding yes to the question, does choice even really exist? So in terms of this question, in all fairness, right, I mean, I do not have a monopoly on the truth. I have my two eyeballed perspective about the lived experience, about my subjective experience. But so I I think it's an important question to ask. It's a legitimate question to ask. And to get a answer that someone might be confident in, there'd have to be a lot of research. You'd have to explore and survey a pretty vast literature that would include Sartre's Being and Nothingness. Sartre says that we're condemned to be free, that we have agency, and not to acknowledge that we can make choices would be to live in bad faith. And to choose not to choose is a choice. His view is very radical. It's probably uncomfortable for a lot of people. He is of the thinking that everything that happens to us we're responsible for Camus who is also understood as being an existentialist like Sartre talks about the absurd and in terms of an ethic that can come from an acceptance of the absurd he suggests that Even though that life is meaningful. We need to continue to struggle nonetheless We need to pursue our passions And we need to exercise our freedom so another resounding yes john searle he does a good job at identifying the problem of the freedom of the will he identifies that actually there are contradicting views of thought and that these thoughts both have positions that are strongly equipped and that usually in a situation like this you usually just dismiss the view that seems to lack a certain strength of argument and in, in, in this case he says uh, th- there's there's no doing that that we live in a world that operates according to cause and effect laws of nature and because we're human we live in this world and we therefore are subject to the cause and effect laws of nature things are determined on the other hand he says though but We have the experience at any moment of deciding that we want to raise our arm and the darn thing goes up. He says, there's a great demonstration of the freedom of the will. I have a link that you can check out that will, a video on YouTube that does a great job in a nine minute video, succinctly capturing the tension between those two contradicting views of thought. We'd also have to listen to uh, the, the voice that is provided by Sam Harris and Sean Carroll, who are both hard determinists, that suggests that free will choice, it's an illusion. So if we were to take our departure point from a hard determinist perspective, my discussion on choice right now would have nothing to do with freedom of the will, and would have been determined as an inevitable moment linked back to the time of the Big Bang. The thought is if we were able to reverse time and then hit the play button by 20 years, The thing is that we would inevitably end up back here at this moment. I'm not inclined to think that my experience suggests things would be different. If this was the good life and I was living the good life right now, I think I would be taking a gamble to allow someone to create conditions where we would reverse time by 10 to 15 years and then hit the play button and and with the hope of ending up back here at this moment so that I wouldn't lose anything. I don't think that that would be inevitable. I think that a number of intervening variables would play themselves out in such a way that I can't even imagine what my life would look like right now. So I'm going to take my starting point as William James's pragmatic starting point and say that, you know, my first act of free will is to believe in free will and propose that choice is real and it's linked to happiness, which brings us to the resource for this specific episode by Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice by Less is More, how the culture of abundance robs us of satisfaction. And before I get into the context of his discussion and highlight just one or two points from his book and leave the rest for you to discover on your own, I'd like to ask an additional question. It might be a silly question, but I wonder if perhaps maybe it could still nonetheless be informative. And the question is this can elections i'm in canada and uh, pretty soon we're going to be having in a number of months uh, the federal elections Um, so can elections the purchase of barbecues and dandelions teach us anything about choice we find ourselves struggling to vote for the right party and that's going to be a reality for many of us canadians in in october right this idea of the right party the myth of the golden choice, the right choice. And it's so overwhelming to think that I bear responsibility for my life, that I might make the wrong choice. That's that's a hard pill to swallow. But we do move through this world as if there is only one right decision. I refer to that as the myth of the golden choice. What about buying a barbecue, you know? while well, we're thinking about what's the right party to vote for in terms of an upcoming election. In terms of purchasing a barbecue, we're like, what's the best barbecue? And someone might decide that to pick the best barbecue, they have to go to Lowe's and Rona, Home Hardware, Home Depot. Barry Swartz is gonna share something about that. We'll get to that. And the last thought, The season of dandelions is upon us one might pause and wonder why is it we hate them so much and want to obliterate them from our yards is it a matter of them just being a terrible weed or is it a matter of cultural determinism is there's something in us that in terms of being north americans westerners that the manicured pristine lawn is of high cultural importance and As such, the dandelion is sacrificed at the altar of appearance. I don't know. But I do think this idea that the way we relate to the dandelion and this idea of cultural determinism does give us food for thought about the limits of choice. Because even though I do believe in a phenomenon called choice and its phenomena, I do believe that there are limits. So we can now get to our discussion about Barry Schwartz's book, the paradox of choice we exist in a context here in the West where the cult of the individual reigns and is dominant and there's a thought that we have. And this is the thought that Barry Swartz kind of explores the idea that choice. We value choice so much and it's seen that the more choice we have, the better life will be that choice is essential for happiness. And more choice means more happiness in the book the paradox of choice. Barry Schwartz talks about two different kind of character descriptions of people that make choice choices, choosers. We, we could be a chooser that would be identified as a maximizer, or we could be a chooser that's identified a, as a satisficer. So maximizers, um, and they're often related to perfectionists, they attempt to get the best objective outcomes by considering all options, right? So when we're looking at the barbecue or political parties, we're thinking that there is the right choice, right? We're caught up in the myth of the golden choice. And they're gonna do everything to exhaust and explore all options, all possibilities. Interestingly enough, even though they do get the best objective outcomes, like they they will perhaps buy the best barbecue with, parties, voting parties, it's different because beliefs, needs, values, strengths, intentions, desires are things that need to be considered. While, you know, they do get the best objective outcomes, interestingly enough, they are subjectively less satisfied with the choices they make. And there is also in connection with increased levels of depression as compared to satisficers, right? So when we're looking at satisficers, we're looking at people that are taking a good enough approach to things you know I'm not going to go to Lowe's I'm not going to go to Home Depot home hardware I'm just going to go to Lowe's and I'm going to look at three or four brands three or four different models I'm going to look at some of the things that are important to me in terms like BTUs I want 60,000 BTUs I want a certain size uh, for my cooking area I I want um, a certain kind of warranty uh, a 10-year warranty and I'm at a certain kind of price. You know what? I'm going to go with this uh, this broiler king and I'm going to be okay with that. I'm happy. So they don't necessarily make the best objective decisions. They don't get the best necessarily objective outcomes in terms of the decisions that they make, but they're subjectively more satisfied and they don't get caught stuck in ruminating about whether this choice has as many opportunity costs as other choices. They're able to identify, and this is one of the rules of thumb for various words, that when you make a choice, avoid getting caught up in the opportunity costs of opportunity costs, you know, the opportunity cost of opportunity costs, as he would say, is that you're never able to be happy with the choice you make because you're always thinking about the things that you didn't get because of the choice you made. There's a forfeiture. Every time we make a choice, there's a forfeiture. And if we be at peace with that, instead of thinking about what we didn't get, focusing on what we did get, it could elevate our levels of satisfaction and reduce a lot of exhaustion that comes with the overwhelming amount of choices that are now being made available to us. He'll come back again and again to the distinction about maximizers, satisficers, levels of happiness, link them to mental health and identify that there could be a point where we might want to create some rules of thumb in terms of the choices that we are going to make. In terms of some choices, we should have a rule so that we don't have to think about what we're going to do anymore. And then in other instances, when the rule is not able to take care of the situation, we might want to create like a think tank opportunity for ourselves where We're going to do some more deliberation. And in terms of the deliberation, we might consult different sources. We might review our past histories in terms of other decisions. And that those are the choices where we can feel better about investing larger amounts of energy to making the decision. I myself, I see myself as a satisficer. And uh, I generally speaking can make a choice that's good enough and be okay with it. So how about you? What what are you? Are you a maximizer? Are you a satisficer? Now that uh, Barry has kind of created an awareness about some of the costs and the benefits of those different choosing styles, chooser styles, you know, is it time to make a change? Gratitude is really an important part of being able to be okay with the choices that we make so that is the resource of the month i get really excited about the discussion on choice and i'm just going to plant the seed of a thought for my upcoming episode because i kind of like to share a little bit about my own philosophy of choice but as i said I'm just gonna share the seed of a thought because it's a big discussion. And I think the best way to proceed with this discussion is to approach it as a a series of conversations that we will want to have in terms of exploring how we can increase happiness as it relates to this phenomenon called choice. I shared with you my idea about the myth of the golden choice. I do not believe there is the right choice. I believe there are good enough choices and that we need to make choices that line up with our beliefs, needs, values, strengths, intentions, desires, interests, visions. And that's all about creating congruent choices. I also think that what we can do in terms of the choices we've made so far, if we want to, if we see choice as something that we can develop as a skill and get better at over time, I think that one of the things we might want to do is to kind of at least acknowledge that we have like a choice history and if we don't have a choice history maybe wake up to the possibility that choice could be a reality in our lives and when you make that choice timeline one of the things you might want to be able to do is kind of like look back over your life kind of chronicle the different choices that you've made and in terms of those choices we sometimes might find that there might be a point On that timeline which we can call the donning of agency where we became aware that we could make these things not just called little decisions what kind of toothpaste you're going to buy but also life-altering choice that we could do things that will drastically and dramatically change the trajectory of our lives because we make a decision i made a decision to quit school when i was in high school that changed the course of things for me in terms of the the interest that I had I did go back and my educational career changed in terms of the the things that I decided I was then therefore going to pursue I also made a decision to quit my apprenticeship I was in a truck and coach apprenticeship one year in getting ready for the workforce and I decided I made a life-altering choice I decided in that moment I was going to give up everything the life that I had here in Ontario and move out west and start a new life for myself and I did within a week I quit my program I informed friends and family I bought a plane ticket and within a week I got on a plane and I landed in Vancouver and I created a chapter of of, a, a new chapter of my life that was my Victoria chapter my go west young man chapter and it was formidable it was so important to me shaping the person that i was going to become it created a precedent in terms of the things i was going to be willing to do to make sure that i was living the authentic life the good life my parting thought in terms of my introduction of my uh, philosophy on choice is that perhaps you create a choice timeline look at possibly Uh, the moment in which you became aware of the dawning of agency that you could impact your future by the choices that you make in terms of life altering choices. Get an idea on that timeline of the different monumental choices that you've made. And then think about those choices, because I think that we can discover things about ourselves in terms of beliefs, needs, values, strengths, intentions, desires, interests, and visions, by reflecting upon the choices that we've made. And I like to call that the revelatory nature of choice, that we can discover who we are, things that are valuable to us, and in the process also create ourselves and co-author our lives by embracing the empowerment of choice. I've got a number of journals and I have for myself conducted this activity of creating a choice timeline and I found it revealing and perhaps this is a, an activity that could be helpful for you. We're going to look forward to some more discussion on the phenomena of choice and its phenomena in uh, the next episode in May. I'll highlight a different book for my just by the way thought in this moment. I hope that the, res- the resources I'm sharing have been helpful. I hope the resources that I share will continue to be helpful. I encourage you not to accept my shorthanded account of these different resources. I do not have a monopoly on the truth. I really would like for people to kind of explore them firsthand themselves. You can possibly go to a library and find this book. If not, you can go online, watch the YouTube, or uh, a video in the video library, library video at Authentic Happiness. So thank you for joining me at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe for another tip of the iceberg conversation. As always, it's been a pleasure. Until our next meeting of minds, peace, take care, and may the choices you make be the wisest ones possible in the moments that you meet. Peace.